When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better is it, it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, am I doing you no wrong? Did you not agree with me for denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. God in heaven, we adore you, and we confess our hearts are sick, they are broken. identify perhaps more with the Ninevites than with Jonah, or those who have been hired at the eleventh hour than those who have been hired at the first hour. Nonetheless, we fall on you, you whose words are true, 
you whose name is great. We beg for your mercy. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. A wonderful night. We're getting close to the end of the liturgical year. I don't know if you know that. And as we do, we're going to continue apace in the Gospel of Matthew, and things are about to get a little tense in Matthew's Gospel. We're moving towards the Olivet Discourse, which the lectionary will skip over, but Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem. And so this week is one of the last weeks of, of lessons and parables that he has for his disciples before he focuses really like a laser, like a rifle shot on the cross, the crucifixion, how he will be handed over. He will truly hand himself over to suffering and death and be raised again. So prepare yourself, be dressed and ready because we're about to sprint all the way to this glorious hope where we eagerly await Christ's return. And the next thing you know, it'll be Advent. Let's just pause and acknowledge that it is now almost October, and we're wearing masks. We're in church again, at least in some sort of way. But still, what a strange time we're in, is it not? It is still so strange. And I love that we have these lessons tonight. They're very interesting. They're very difficult. And I fear that, and maybe COVID is helping us realize this, but I feel like we're, we're far too much like Jonah in some ways and far too much like those who are hired early in the day in some ways. Jonah, oh, Jonah, don't you, don't, do you enjoy reading the book of Jonah? Maybe there's several impediments for you to reading the book of Jonah. But every time I get to this part of the book, I feel guilt because I can so identify with Jonah right here. Because why? God was running towards a people, the people of Nineveh. And where did Jonah go? He went to Tarshish. And you may say, Jay, I have no idea. where Tar Tarshish might as well be Happy Texas or Wayside or Vigo Park for that matter. I do not know where Tarshish is. Tarshish, and Eugene Peterson illustrates this beautifully in this, his book called Under the Unpredictable Plant. It's a book written for pastors, but it, there's still a lot to learn about the book of Jonah. Tarshish, Eugene Peterson says, is this elaborate, illustrious place. It's beautiful. It's kind of like the Vegas or the Macau or the Reno, depending on your sensibility, of the ancient world. It's about as opposite from Nineveh as you could get. And that's where Jonah goes. Peterson says for people in ministry, Tarshish could be something like the, the mega church, the big successful thing, the TV thing, or the, I don't know, what is it now? Like you, you have a, a lot of followers on YouTube or you have a podcast or you have something. So some sort of notoriety. And Jonah moves away from these 120,000 people. Did you notice how it's phrased? 120,000 people, and also women and children, and several livestock. All that to say is that God cares about these people, and we hear the psalmist commenting on this. The Lord upholds all those who fall. He lifts up those who are bowed down. The eyes of all who wait upon you, O Lord, you give them their food and due season. These people in Nineveh didn't know their right hand from their left. 
and God chooses to show mercy to them. And he, he picks Jonah to go and be the bearer of this mercy. But Jonah isn't just indifferent, which is a sign. And I feel that we experience right now a lot of indifference, a lot of what tomorrow night at Public Theology, Chris and the group, will be talking about the, the sort of stoicism that people have addressed tragedies in the past, and we see that stoicism right now as we face this current pandemic. But I fear we are far too much like Jonah. In some sense, because we know God's mercy, because Jonah knew that, didn't he? I knew you would do that, God. I knew that you would have mercy on them. I knew that you would be kind and compassionate and loving and merciful to these people who don't know their right hand from their left. We know God's mercy and we know that people need God's mercy, don't we? We know those two things. It's like last week. We know that we've been forgiven an insurmountable debt, something that we could never work off if it were to be quantified in money. But God has forgiven us that debt. So we know God is merciful. We know that God, that people needs God's, need God's mercy, just like the Ninevites, but we simply do what? Either do nothing or we just go the other way. Some forces that mitigate us from going towards the people that needs God, need God's mercy, get my verbs right here, that need his selfless demonstration of God's comfort and compassion and goodness is that we may find ourselves, think about this for a minute, we may find ourselves falling functionally into what you might call a sort of Christian atheism. Meaning, we believe there's a God and he's around, but he's kind of somewhere else right now. It's almost as if we lived in a two-story house and we in this whole entire world and everything that mattered, 2020, COVID, pandemic, racial injustice, election year, all the things that are broiling around us and all the things that we desperately need resolution for to this cacophony, it's here on the first floor, but where's God? Well, he's on the second floor. And every now and then we might hear a faint echo of a bump and think, oh, God is here with us. So a Christian atheism believes that God is relegated to some other place. It's part of this, this secularism, which is the current spirituality of our day, friends. Let's just call it like it is. Secularism is a spirituality whose main tenet is that there's no need for spirituality. But it is alive and well. And so... We swim in this water, we breathe in this air, and we know that God is merciful and compassionate and kind. And we know that people are dying without it, that they don't know their right hand from their left, and we don't really do anything about it. Because is it all really real? Is there really any point to any of this at all? And then... When God does provide something for us, something miraculous, something, as it were, that came down from the second floor, like this plant for Jonah, and we feel that comfort, and we see that goodness, and we can just 
rest in it? When that's taken away, what happens to us? We feel like we want to die. Guys, these are confusing times. And we need to acknowledge and be present to the fact that we might be a little bit like Jonah, who is sitting and watching for the destruction of this people, except that what? God saw what they did, says the Scripture. What do they do? They repented in dust and ashes. They put on sackcloth. They tore their clothes. They cried out to the living God. They begged for mercy, the same mercy that you and I have been recipients of and the same mercy that we must abide in. And so now to the parable. We can think of this in two main ways. The people hired early are the Jews. God calls Abraham. Oh, go back and read Abraham's story and Isaac's story and Jacob's story. You guys, when God calls us to himself, when he gives us this faith, the same faith that Abraham had, when he makes us part of his seed that he promised Abraham would have, friends, that is something that truly we can rest in. That is something that truly we can share with others. And they perhaps might be called later in the day. So we can think of this parable as the Jews being called first and the Gentiles being called later in the day, maybe even in the 11th hour. Do you know what time the 11th hour is? It's not 11 p.m. It's 5 o'clock. It's the end of the work day. Hey, wait a minute. They worked an hour maybe and they still got a full day's wage? Who gets to decide what the wage is to being a laborer? the landowner, who has called you and me to himself, the landowner, God himself. So we can think of that parable in that way, Jews and Gentiles. But we can also think of it in this way, and I pray this is a comfort for you as it is for me. There's some of us that basically are born in the church and grow up in the church, and we never leave the vineyard. We've always been in the vineyard. We're working and we're tilling and et cetera, et cetera. And we've lived this long, faithful life that has a really beautiful arc to it. It doesn't seem very uh, catchy. You know, you may not want to make a movie about it. It's kind of, it may be kind of a boring life. But it's really good and it's really beautiful. And just like a honeybee that just does what it does, it buzzes around and it pollinates a flower and it buzzes over here and it goes back to the hive. But what comes out from that sweet little honeybees work. This delight to the taste honey. Not only that, but the honeybee going on its way, doing its work, does what? It brings life to everything around it. Some of us have that story. Now, there are bumps in the road. There are devastating things that happen, but that's our story. Others, though, have never been part of the church, or maybe they've been part of the church, and they have a drastic deviation from the vineyard. They take off. They say, I wish you were dead. Dad, give me your inheritance, and I'll be gone, like the prodigal son. And they're gone for a long, long, long time. 
But by God's grace, around the 11th hour, it may be literally on their deathbed, they come back to the vineyard. They realize how desperate they are for this God who is compassionate and merciful, abounding in loving kindness, and who is good to all. And the landowner does what? He receives them back into the vineyard. For those of us who have been in the vineyard a long time, we can't despise that they've done that. But we can celebrate and rejoice in that. Let me tell you, friends, pray for people who are not in the vineyard. Pray for those who have given God the the signs of no thank you, thanks but no thanks, your family members, your friends, your neighbors. Pray and then be like the honeybee. Do your work. Do what you do and watch. Don't run to Tarshish. Don't go looking for the biggest, baddest thing. Be diligent and watch what God does. I promise you that something sweet and good and life-giving and things all around you will bloom. You may not notice it. You may not see it. But because you have diligently and faithfully labored, not only will you receive what, what the landowner gives you, but others around you will benefit. Friends, in this time of COVID, in this time of mask wearing and hand washing and six feet apart, in this time of crying out to God for racial justice, in this time of crying out to God, what are we supposed to do in this election? And all of the things in front of us, I pray we don't grow stoic, that we don't grow cynical, that we do our work, our work of prayer, our work of worship, and that we rest in God's faithfulness and mercy, and we receive what comes. Amen? Amen. God in heaven, give us grace to do this. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.